So I want to, uh, I want to start by, by talking about inclinations this morning. Um, and, and you'll see as it, it comes up, my t- yeah, you can just leave, you can leave, you can leave Rob Ford up there for a couple minutes. Well, the next slide will be my title. You can just leave that, Russ. But, you know, we all, we all have inclinations to certain things, right? Whether it's like habits, perspectives, behaviors, you, you, we all have certain inclinations. And some are healthy inclinations, and some aren't healthy inclinations. Would you agree with that? That we all, we all have that in our lives. And we all have God-given inclinations that when stewarded well, and when we're in spiritual health, they have the potential actually to be a great blessing to others. And so, this is all leading up. One of my inclinations, some of you might think this might be very obvious to you, but one that seems to come very naturally to me, I'll say even instinctively, is to improve things. I, I, I seem to see things from a perspective that makes me want to improve things around me. And, and so that might mean like coming in and wanting to clean a room. It might mean wanting to like detail a vehicle. It might be editing a document that I, I just, I see is like this, this, and this, and this needs to improve. So for example, lately, it comes very naturally for me to come into our house and to see all the little things that need to get done for us when we were getting our house ready to sell. And I would come in and like, I literally, in my mind, probably had a list of like 20 things running. Like this, this, and this, and this has to happen. My, my, oh, there I am. I think I'm on now. Good. Um, so I'm, I have this huge list running in my mind and we bring our realtor in and I'm listening, I'm saying this, I got to do this, Nick, I got to do this. He's like, and he looks at me, he's like, you don't have to do any of that. I'm like, Really? I'm like, because I really think that we need to do this. He's like, no, forget about it. Like, don't even worry about it. And so I realized in that, that, you know, all these things that I thought were huge, like I had to get done, not so. That was the way that I saw things. But, but like all of us, I also have many things that I'm not inclined to. There's many things that I don't feel an inclination to. I, I don't instinctively lean to certain things. Spontaneity is one thing. I do not incline to, spont- to being spontaneous in my life. And when I, I said this to Jess, she's like, well, yeah, <laughs> I know that. And uh, I like things well laid out. I like plans. Um, I was even realizing this, this week, I'm like, this is even the way that I lay out my messages. I like things laid out a certain way. I, I don't like spontaneity. And so I have to work at developing that because it's good for me. It's good for me to be spontaneous. It's good for my wife that I'm spontaneous because she likes that. So this morning, I want to I talk about prayer. And I want to talk about prayer in our lives and prayer together as the body of Christ. And for some of us, you, you might find the inclination to prayer uh, to be quite natural for you. Like, it's just, it's very natural. Some of you might find that prayer has always seemed very instinctive. Like, it just, it comes as something that you really love to do. And for others, and, and I would put myself in this group, I don't feel as inclined or a natural inclination to prayer or prayer with others. So, it's something that I have to work at. Maybe it's something you find that like, I have to work at that. I have to be intentional about developing that and sustaining that in my life. And so this morning, wherever you would assess yourself on that grid 
of uh, when it comes to prayer and an inclination to prayer with others, I want to I talk about an inclination to prayer. Because wherever you are, doesn't matter, I promise you that God wants to take you deeper. That there is always more when it comes to this. And I, I also see this morning as sort of a perfect segue into our series that we're going to start next week in 1 Corinthians that I am, I am really excited about. Um, I feel like the Lord is, is speaking very clearly out of that, but this wasn't something I planned. Uh, I didn't plan for this message to kind of be before. It just I, I felt like the Lord was speaking some stuff to me. But as I spent time preparing it, I, I started to see how God is just lining things up. And, and, you know, I say that because we can feel like we're living in very dark and confusing days for the church. I think sometimes when we step back, we can feel that about what's going on all around us. Culture seems to be more opposed right now to biblical truth than probably it's ever been in our lifetimes, at least. I, don't th- I think that we probably feel that. Um, Having said all that, this isn't doom and gloom. I actually think that there is great hope for the renewal of the church. I think there's tremendous hope in what's happening right now, actually, all around us. And that's, we're going to go there in the months ahead, because I, I feel like the Lord has been speaking some things. But um, we'll talk about that through the lens of 1 Corinthians. But at the forefront of renewal is prayer. At the forefront of renewal always is prayer. Prayer has always been, it will always be the catalyst in our individual lives and in the life of the church for God's presence to move amongst us. And our, our desire for prayer actually is a really revealing barometer of our spiritual health. And so this, this isn't connected to 1 Corinthians, but developing an inclination for prayer in our lives and with one another in the church is essential if we're longing and we're thirsting for God's renewal. And so the text that we're going to be in this morning is 2 Chronicles 20, 1 to 22. It's the account of a particular situation during the reign of King Jehoshaphat. Um, I hope I'm saying his name right. I'm going to, I have like, I have to say it a lot. So it's like, a, it's almost a tongue twister. But he was, he was reigning in Judah And this account is the response of him and the people that I I want to examine within the context of prayer. And and to have a fuller appreciation of what was happening here, I I want to give us some background, some context for what led to this. So prior to this, Jehoshaphat and King Ahab of the northern kingdom of Israel, if you remember Ahab, he was was a bad dude. Um, He had a bunch of prophetic stuff against him. He, he did a lot of, he, he sinned, it says, more than any other king before him. Jehoshaphat made an alliance with him through marriage. And the, so the kingdom of Israel right, had been previously ripped apart. So you had Judah, you had the northern kingdom now. They were at war with one another. They were at odds with one another. And Jehoshaphat, through marriage, made this alliance with King Ahab. And despite then prophetic warning, Jehoshaphat, he went up with King Ahab and fought against the king of Syria. He was told, don't do it. Did it anyways. Uh, The prophetic warning said, Ahab's going to be killed. And sure enough, he was. In the midst of the battle, Jehoshaphat, he cried out to the Lord. And and it says in the text that the Lord helped him. 
So then he comes back to Jerusalem, and Jehu, who's another prophet, goes to him and just rebukes him and says, like, you were never supposed to make that alliance. And aligning yourself with that kind of evil, it's only because of your faithfulness to God that you're being spared sort of thing. But the good news, it says, is that Jehoshaphat's heart was set to seek God. And so that's the, that's the background for them what comes next. Second Chronicles 20, and we're gonna, we're, we'll read it. But it begins this by saying, Sometime later, the Moabites and the Ammonites came against Jehoshaphat for a battle. It says actually a great multitude came with them. So let's, let's just pause here for, for a moment. Th- this is the reality of life because it says that in 2 Chronicles 20 verse 3, it says, then Jehoshaphat was afraid. That's reality, Right? This is the reality that we can feel in our lives. This is the reality we can feel in the church. Fear. Immediate fear. It doesn't look good. And, and this, this can apply to so many different situations in our lives. Instances that find fear welling up inside of us. And it's in these periods of, of our lives, like the nation of Judah, that we inevitably we find ourselves with choices to make. Where will we turn? What is our inclination in those times? It's a serious, when you, when you step back and you begin to try to imagine what was happening in Judah, it's a serious situation. They are on the, the cusp of being routed and overridden with the Moabites and the Ammonites. Now an inclination, it's defined as a natural tendency or a disposition. And in, in, in these areas or sorry, in these verses that we're going to look at, there's at least five inclinations that I can see that we see from Jehoshaphat, we see from the people of Judah that put before us a model for prayer as people following the way of Jesus. So the first inclination we see is that they sought or they seek help from the Lord. So let's read Second Chronicles 20. Let's read together verses 3 and 4. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord from all the cities of Judah. They came to seek the Lord. I wonder if if you've ever received a notice or a letter or something like that that Instantly, you read this and you find fear welling up inside of you. Something happens in life, and all of a sudden, there is this you went from having none to having a whole lot of fear. That, that deep sense of trouble that seems to overwhelm all your cognitive functions. Do you know what I'm, you know what I'm talking about? That kind of fear? I think we know that. I, I received a, a letter a few years back just like that. It left me feeling instantly afraid, very fearful, very vulnerable, and it it gripped me with with that just instant fear that I I felt overwhelming me. So on a a very small scale, I, I feel that I can identify 
with what the nation of Judah was feeling here. Maybe you can too. Maybe you can recall a time in your life where this, that kind of fear, that's what the nation was facing. The nation could have, and they previously had, and they would in the future under different kings, seek help from surrounding nations. They could have. They could have gone and tried to make alliances. We've got these guys on our borders. We need your help. Looking to human alliances, looking to things in the natural rather than turning to God. But Jehoshaphat, he he had experienced the Lord's rebuke, right? That's where it's important in the context. He had experienced the rebuke of the Lord from doing that in the past. He had turned, he had gone with King Ahab. He knew where that led. He didn't want to go down that road again. But when, when we feel pressure, when, we, when there's unexpected situations that present themselves in our lives, it's always, it's a great question to ask ourselves, what is my inclination in those moments, in those times? Are, are we quick to numb or distract ourselves with other things? Do we look to something else immediately to alleviate the pain or the pressure? Do, do we look to surround ourselves with substitutes rather than with God. And, and while the people's response here was to join together and seek help from the Lord, it was in response to a specific threat. I, I believe that it has implications for us as well. And that is, first, it provides a foundation for us as God's people to replicate in our lives, that we follow this way. And it provokes us to examine ourselves and our comfort if we don't feel the need to seek help from the Lord in prayer. If we don't feel an inclination to seek help from the Lord in prayer, those are are things to put before the Lord and examine. We're, We're seeing in our culture a dramatic rise when you look at studies and all sorts of things when it comes to anxiety, when it comes to depression, when it comes to fear, when it comes to mental health disorders, suicide. Suicide is, is, right, is on the rise in, in alarming numbers, um, especially in, in the younger generations. There's a dramatic and a concerning shift happening in our culture. Are you aware of that? That there's this utopian ideal that has been preached for a long time. It's continued to be preached by our secular progressive culture. But that, that ideal that's being preached, that utopia, it's showing massive gaps in it. This gap that we see between the elites and everyday people is growing. There's a widening gap happening in society. Inequality between the poor and the rich, sorry, the poor and the rich is widening. It's becoming wider and wider. Social disconnectedness and depression is growing despite this thing of hyperconnectivity. We like to think now we're so connected by technology and yet social disconnectedness is actually growing in people. There's a crisis of meaning right now happening in the West despite all the affluence that we have. Tons and tons of affluence and yet there is a massive crisis of meaning that's underway. And so all all this pressure is hitting people as individuals all over. It's happening all over. And we may not be able to articulate it, but we feel the pressure of this culture in our lives. There is a pressure because of it. 
In Philippians 4, 6, and 7, it says something that is, it's so countercultural now, when you, when you read this, that we might actually be inclined to question its validity. Paul says there, he says, don't be anxious about anything. What? Like, like that, that, that doesn't seem valid anymore. Don't be anxious about anything. We, we have created systems and structures of living that are actually seedbeds of anxiety. They're all over the place. We keep creating these seedbeds and anxiety is rising and we're going, what's happening? And we're living in these seedbeds. Someone said to me the other day that their spouse will post something on social media and they will find themselves drawn to keep checking how many likes or loves that particular post has received. They feel drawn, even though they, they know it's not a big deal, they feel drawn to go and look what's happening. There's a lot of people in that boat, by the way. Lots. We, we know that it's not healthy, and yet we feel sucked in. Philippians 4 says the key is prayer. In everything. In everything, the key is prayer. By prayer and supplication, it says. That's a fancy word. It just means being desperate. You're desperate. You're going to the Lord, and you're desperate for him to move. Along with thanksgiving, give it all to God, it says. And the promise, Paul says, is the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. He says it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's an incredible promise. There's actually a guarding that happens. Developing an inclination to prayer starts with a desire to seek help from the Lord. We start with, we're going to turn to God. Second inclination we see here. Praise, remembrance, and petition. Verses 5 to 9. And Jehoshaphat stead in the, stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem, in the house of the Lord before the new court, and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hands are power and might, so that no one, sorry, none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house and before you for your name is in this house and cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and save. There's a framework here in those verses and it's, it's shown throughout the Psalms as well uh, for, of prayer for us, both individually and together as the church body. Praise, Starts with praise, remembrance, and petition. Jehoshaphat leads the people in declaring who God is and reminding him of their goodness, of God's goodness. To, be, to begin 
prayer with praise, it's not some formal function. Like we don't do it just because we, we have to do it. Its purpose actually is to, to direct our mind's focus, our heart's affections to God's greatness. We get our eyes onto him. And that's, this is what Jehoshaphat says here. He reminds the people, God is on the throne. He rules over the nations of the earth. He holds power and might. No one can withstand the purposes of God. We, and we, as we declare those truths, we remind ourselves of the eternal truth when situations in the natural, when they look hopeless, when they look like they're out of control, when they're spiraling, we go, right, it's God. He's above. He's on the throne. All the nations in the world submit to him. Everyone. We get our eyes on him. And then, verse 7, Jehoshaphat, he directs the people to remember. He says, it was the work of God in giving you the very land that you reside on. Remember, this land that you're in right now, God gave you this land. He put you in this land. Remember what he did. He's turning their attention to the faithfulness of God up to that point in their lives. So, cultivating, documenting, and declaring what God has done for us in our lives, it turns our hearts to God. So we cultivate that. We did that this morning in worship, right? How has God been faithful to you this past week? That calls us back to remembrance. What has God done in you this last week? calls us back. It cultivates that. We document that. That's why we write those things down. This is where God has been faithful. It's entirely biblical to declare the work of God in our lives rather than try and give ourselves credit. Directs us back to him to remind ourselves of God's incredible work in our lives. You know, when you begin to do, when you begin to, to work in that sort of form, remembering those things, documenting them, do you realize, I realize how easily I forget how God works in my life and all the things he's done. Maybe, like, if any of you have a photographic memory, memory like, wow, I'm, you're blessed, but I, I don't. And I, I've got to document things constantly because I realize I forget. Or when I don't write something down, I'm like, oh, what was that again? How did God? How did God speak to me there? Remembrance, it also reminds us as people and as a church that there is something in our history that speaks to our destiny. Something incredibly important in that. There's something, that's something to ponder personally and as a church. So verse nine, we see that remembering God, has, what he's done, that comes alongside then petition for the current need. We remember and then we call upon God's faithfulness as we ask him to move once more. You kind of, if, you, if you're looking at verse 9 there, there's, there's sort of echoes in there of Romans 8, isn't there? Like where Paul talks about, you know, no matter what comes against us, God is for us. It doesn't matter. Whatever happens in our lives, no matter what we face, God is with us. And it doesn't promise, just like here, it doesn't promise the removal of trouble. It doesn't, but it reminds us nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. This is, and this is foundational for how we learn to cry out to God in prayer. 
It's foundational that we understand that God is for us, that no matter what happens, he's with us. That's the basis and the foundation. We remember his goodness and the finished work of Jesus. Third inclination that we see here. Admit weakness and reliance on God. Verse 10. So Jehoshaphat is continuing here, and he says, And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O our God, will you not execute judgments on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. There's a model here for our prayer lives woven in the response here of Jehoshaphat. He's, He's presenting the reality of the problem they face. Like there's, there is no publicity marketing happening here. He's not presenting him an image of himself of, as leader that's fake. He's not trying to just drum up the crowd. He's being really honest. He's admitting weakness, and he's admitting total, the need for total reliance on God. There, there's something so refreshing about this in our current culture. One, one that is petrified of displaying weakness and obsessed with managing image. Admitting that we're weak, that we feel powerless, that we actually don't know what to do in certain situations. That's exactly what Jehoshaphat does here. He appeals to the faithfulness of God and he says, God, we need you to do something. We, we, we can't handle this on our own. We can't overtake this group. This, this is way too above us. We're weak. It sounds rather simplistic, right? But this is, this is foundational for our prayer lives, that we come to a place of desperation and reliance on God, that this is how we approach the Lord, that we don't shy away from weakness, both publicly and privately, that we're honest. Rather, we we recognize that vulnerability is the very place that God moves in us. It's in vulnerability. That's where God will move. Jehoshaphat, he he even speaks here to how unfair the whole threatened invasion is. Like he's saying that these people that are wanting to destroy us, they're the ones that when we came through out of Egypt, we bypassed them. We didn't. We could have, ta- he's saying, we could have taken them down, right? If you remember those, if you read the accounts, after the Israelites come out of Egypt, they, they bypassed these nations. And he's saying, and now they're coming back on us. See, that's like, it's unfair. There, there is opposition in life that is completely unfair. Do you know cultural opposition is sinister? Incredibly sinister. If you're not careful, it's, it, it, it doesn't take any prisoners. But, and this is the big but, we have God. We have the Lord. 
Jesus, he spoke of this. John 14, John 16. He says, look, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. But remember, I've overcome the world. Then he, he says also to the disciples, he says, don't, don't let your hearts be troubled. Like stuff is going to come. Stuff is going to happen. It's going to be rough. It's not going to be easy. But don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let it defeat you. He says, believe in God and believe also in me. That, the culture that we are in right now, that's, right, that's foundational right now. When stuff is coming at us, believe in God. Believe in Jesus. That hasn't changed. The end of verse 12 is, is truth that we can pray as well when we're desperate. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We, we don't know sometimes. You, I, I do not know what to do, but my eyes are on you. Fourth inclination. Here we see. Seek the Lord together. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord and their little ones, their wives and their children. And the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jeel, son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Aspha, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the ends of the valley east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, Hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. Like, is that not an amazing, amazing promise and proclamation? In the, and think again of what is happening here. Think what the people are facing. It looks hopeless. Must have been quite the scene. Like I, I try to imagine that. All the people, it says, are standing before the Lord when this happens. And, I, and I'm sure, you know what? Some were simply there. They were there in the crowd. Why? Well, because the king had proclaimed a fast and you better come from all the towns. So there's probably some going, oh yeah, well, I'm, here. I'm, I'm here because I'm supposed to be here. That never happens with us, right? I'm just here because I'm supposed to be here. And then the Lord speaks. Like, it's amazing. Coming together in prayer and unity invites the Lord to move amongst us. Do you believe that? Coming together. Which is exactly what we see in this text. They come together and the prophetic is released. The spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel. That's the prophetic being released. And it strengthens, affirms, and aligns us to the truth of God. He reminded the people, the battle is not yours. Do not be worried about this. It's not about you. It speaks, the prophetic speaks against fear. 
Do not be afraid. Seeking the Lord together is declaration of our need and desire for him to move. Inviting the presence of Jesus to move in our midst. So coming, coming to seek the face of God together, you know it's actually the trifecta for us? That's what I mean by this. We come together to minister to the Lord through singing, praising his name, we're ministering to the Lord. We are ministering to one another and we are receiving ministry from the Lord. That's the trifecta. It's incredible. So with that in mind, I want to I paint a picture for us this morning. What if every single one of us were to come out this Thursday to night of prayer? This Thursday is night of prayer. Did you know that? This is our time when we come together as the body of Christ. Once a month. We're asking for once a month to come out and pray. Can you imagine what it might look like and foster and produce in our lives as a church if we all came out? Having prepared our hearts and our spirits for worship, because that, remember Gene preached on that way, way back earlier in the year here? There was a great message on how we come and we prepare our hearts for worship, ready to praise. And we come, and what if we come expecting Thursday night? We're coming here expecting to minister to the Lord. We're giving him our praise. We're expecting to minister to one another. And we're coming expecting to receive from the Lord. Now, can you imagine all of us, we come out and we do that month after month after month faithfully praying together. Can you imagine what that's going to do in our lives, in this town, in this region? Have you ever thought about that? The early church did this sort of crazy stuff. Acts 4.31, praying together. And when they had finished, the place in which they were gathered was shaken And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, it says. And they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Acts 12.5, it says, it speaks of them gathering together, earnestly praying for Peter. They gathered together. It was in the act of seeking God together that the people were strengthened to step out in faith. But first, there's one more inclination that's so crucial when it comes to prayer together. And this is the fifth inclination. That is desire to worship. Verse 18 and 19. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites, the Kohathites, and the Korathites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Amen. That's incredible. Worship, specifically here, worship is seen in in the form of music and singing. Worship and prayer go hand in hand. Worship and prayer, prayer and worship. Worship and prayer, prayer and worship. Worship fuels faith. It aligns us to the greatness and the faithfulness of God. That's what we're doing. That's why we do it. It invites us to the move of the Holy Spirit amongst us. It it welcomes that. 
It changes hearts. It calls us to remembrance. There's so many things that worship does in us and through us as we allow God to move in us. And, and what we read of here, it's reverent, it's passionate, engaged worship. It, it springs from a hunger and a desperation for God to act. The people were desperate. It's the normative response as we seek God to move. God, would you move? We're here before you. We want to worship you. Hebrews 13, 14 and 15 speaks of this reality in our lives. It says, here we have, we have no lasting city here, but we seek the city that is to come. We're, we're looking to what's coming. And then, he, and then it says, through Jesus then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. Revelation 5, 8 and 10, it, it reveals the incredible reality of prayer and worship around the throne of God. It's happening right now. This is what's going on right now in heaven. The elders falling down in worship before Jesus. They're holding these bowls of incense. You know what's in those bowls of incense? It's your very prayers. And they are going up before the throne and they're singing a new song. And this is what they're declaring. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain. Jesus, you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom and priests are God and they shall reign on the earth. That is being declared right now in the heavenlies. It's worship. And to build our faith and expectation for what is possible, because I think that we need, we need our faith and expectation to be built up for what is possible and what God wants to do. Let's look at the culmination here, what happens with the people. And they rose up early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And they went out... Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the man of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. The people did nothing but respond in obedience, in worship. They didn't lift up a hand. They didn't physically engage them at all. We see that seeking the Lord resulted in boldness and obedience. No matter how crazy or how bizarre it seems. Just, just pull back for a second and, and consider the situation. How crazy and bizarre does this sound? 
You're going to go out and fight a battle, and you're going to put your singers and your priests at the front, and you're going to sing and praise. Where's the swords? Where's, Where's the armor? Where's the shield? Like, isn't that logical that we're going to go out and we'll fight and God, you'll be with us? No, you're going to worship. You're going to worship. You're going to trust that God is going to move amongst you. That's crazy. It's bizarre. What did they do? They obeyed. And they saw God move. That brings up all sorts of just crazy questions for me of what God is calling us to and will we respond in obedience when God calls us? Will we, as his people, will we step out and do what he calls us to do? Maybe it starts with stepping out and saying, I'm going to come and I'm going to pray with God's people on Thursday night. Why? Because we want to pray together. God is stirring a move of worship and prayer amongst us. I have, I have absolutely no doubt of that, that God, his heart is to stir a worship of prayer and he wants to, he wants to stir that in us. Will we commit to, in ourselves, to develop, to develop an inclination to prayer? It's, it's about developing it. It's about stepping out. It's about doing it together.